Hello and welcome to The Stack. It's an Olympic special this week. I speak to our Tokyo bureau chief, Fiona Wilson, about how the Japanese media is covering the Olympics. We also have a newcomer sport in Tokyo 2020, surf. So I decided to chat with Luke Kennedy, editor-in-chief of celebrated Aussie surfing title, Tracks. And finally, for those that would like to keep on track of all the Olympic sports on TV, I spoke to Tom Loxley, editor of the iconic British title, Radio Times. Enjoy the show. From Midori House in London, this is The Stack, 30 minutes of print industry analysis, and I am Fernando Augusto Pacheco. I always get very excited during the Olympics. I think it's such a celebratory moment. Of course, Tokyo 2020 is not an easy one to pull it off because of COVID, of course. Uh, but to look on the bright side of things, lots of new sports will compete for the very first time, including surfing, a sport that I find it so beautiful. To talk a bit more about surfing entering the Olympics for the first time and a little bit more about the celebrated uh, surf title tracks, I spoke to Luke Kennedy, the title's editor-in-chief. Looking at it today, I think I've been the editor since around 2008, 2009, so quite a long time. So over, you know, over 12 years, 12, 13 years. And I was working there full-time for a couple of years before that. And I think I wrote my first article when I was at university about uh, you know, 20 years ago now. So a long association with the magazine, along with having read it since I was a, you know, a young kid. Because he has such a long, you know, history there, you know, in Australia. And even for people that like surfing in general and magazines, I mean, it started, it was it kind of countercultural when it, when, it, when it started, Tracks? Yeah, I think it, it started in 1970 and it was definitely had a, a counterculture element to it, a very progressive counterculture theme. Surfing was in itself almost an act of rebellion at the time. So it was rebel, an act of rebellion against the very conservative culture and a conservative outlook on life you then obviously at the same time you had the the vietnam war transpiring so even in the early phase of the magazine there's a sense of opposition to to the vietnam war some of the most famous surfers were kind of trying to get out of going to the war uh and that's a you know sort of something of a reoccurring theme you had the environmental movement was really starting to take shape as well which is reflected in the early stage of tracks. And then you've got other elements too, which is, you know, you've got a sort of a fairly synonymous with a sort of, a, you know, a different attitude towards recreational drugs as well that was part of the, the countercultural theme at the time. And I know this seems like an obvious question, but, but it's true. I, I read that you're, you're actually a proper surfer as well, because many, you know, it doesn't matter. You can have actually editors of surfing magazines who perhaps are not, you know, very good at it or don't practice the sport, but that's definitely not your case, right? Uh, look, I, I, I think the, the major motivation for me to, to hold this role is to have the opportunity to lead a, a surfing-based lifestyle. You know, it, I probably haven't been paid in an extremely high, extremely high salary in my entire life. But if I was to be, uh, if, my, if my remuneration were to be measured in how many waves I'd caught, I'd be a very rich man. And there's something about surfing, Luke. I don't know if you agree with me. For example, I, I have to be really honest here. I, I've tried surfing a little bit. I'm not very good at it. But at the same time, I do like reading about it. I do like seeing the imagery. I think there's something so powerful about surfing. And as you say, the lifestyle that even for people like me, perhaps, you know, not, not the biggest surfer in the world, but do you agree with that? 
one thing surfing will always have is a, is a mystique and a mythology, and that's attractive to anyone in any situation. So I think that's why even people who don't surf have a kind of a, a real curiosity, curiosity about it. It's about, you know, the waves themselves definitely have that kind of impact. And then also there's a real uh, sense of curiosity about the lifestyle and, and, and the way of life. You know, perhaps some sense that surfers have discovered some ultimate truth with the lifestyle they lead, you know, whether that's true or not, I, won't, I can't say, but sometimes there's a perception that that might be the case. And Luke, tell us a bit more some of the changes of, of the magazine, because I know, of course, the pandemic has affected the editorial market quite a lot in many countries. But I think in the end, Trax is quite a positive story. I mean, you became a co-owner. Would you mind explaining that a little bit? Yeah, so we were owned by a, a, a publishing company. It was actually um, a German company called Forum Media. Which, which operated with a subsidiary in Australia called Next Media. So for a number of years, we'd been owned by various other major publishers. But during the COVID window, the publisher decided that they wanted to sell the publication. So fortunately, uh, myself and a number of sort of four or five other partners were able to rally together enough funds to, to buy the magazine and put it back in the hands of, I guess, uh, you know, grassroots cottage publishing. And have that changed anything in the magazine? Did you guys change anything or, or, or it remains basically the same, but with a different set of owners? Uh, it's, it's definitely, it feels, uh, it's a different headspace to work from, without a doubt for me personally, going from being a, an employee to a co-owner and an editor. Definitely, the, philosophically, it's a different headspace. I think the publication is still essentially true to its core values. That's, that's true and it's similar. Changes, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll make some changes. We're trying at the moment. It's hard to do it overnight with a publication, but we'll dramatically change the website. We'll expand the brand to include other elements. We might look at things like apparel or events uh, when we can actually get more involved in that as things progress. So essentially the, the, the magazine itself will always be at the core of tracks, but we'll, you know, we're looking at exploring some other alternatives because it is such a you know an iconic and well-known brand no very iconic you guys celebrated uh, 50 years correct 50 years was actually yeah right in the midst of the of the COVID window in 2020 that's correct so yeah it was it was um look i, I always thought of myself as you know a custodian of something valuable of a you know of an, of an australian icon as a and i felt very um privileged and honored to be the custodian of the publication at that time that's amazing. And look, I just want to ask you as well, are you, are you excited that now surfing will be at the Olympics? I thought it was quite an interesting uh, addition there for the Tokyo Olympics. Yeah, it's, it, it, I've been thinking about it. It's, you know, it's quite a divisive topic in surfing. I think a lot of sports, uh, particularly those that are somewhat synonymous with counterculture or adventure sports, are sometimes sceptical when they're embraced by the Olympic body, which is obviously a very mainstream straight down the middle organization. So there's, a, there's an element of skepticism there. There's also a very specific concern because you're dealing with nature uh, when we're surfing. So there's so many variables and there's some concern that perhaps the waves in Japan won't be great. So it will depreciate the value of surfing uh, because at that time, you know, the, the conditions might not be so good. What will probably happen though, is that 
everything hinges so much on the success of an, an event on the waves. If the waves are really good, everyone will watch it. And they'll go, how great was that? That was fantastic. If they're not, then I think the surfing audience may turn on it a little bit more. And it's, it's on such a whim of weather and swell that the whole thing can, can rest. But um, yeah, it's, it's, it's exciting and it's definitely a leap into the unknown. And uh, I'll certainly be watching. Well, I'll be watching too because apparently as well, because I'm from Brazil, apparently we could win a medal too. I don't know. Maybe Australia will. I don't know. <laughs> well, it's going to be tough. Yeah, I mean, once upon a time, Australia sort of walked tallest when it came to competitive surfing. We probably had the best competitive record and we were the, probably the number one nation. But that, that uh, position, in the men's division anyway, of surfing, has certainly been wrestled from our hands by the Brazilian contingent. They're definitely the top, top nation right now in the men's division, in the women's division, uh, the Hawaiians and the Australians still have a, a close battle. That was Luke Kennedy there from Tracks magazine. And good luck to Australia and to Brazil as well on surfing. And as everyone knows, to follow all the Olympic sports on TV during the event can be daunting. There's so much choice. Well, if you are a reader of Radio Times, you would not have that problem with their in-depth TV guide of the Olympics. I've been a reader of Radio Times since I moved to the UK, and it's no surprise to me that it still has an impressive circulation in the country. To talk about their latest bumper issue, here is Tom Loxley, editor of Radio Times. Well, you know, it is an institution... It's been going very nearly 100 years, and um, it began, I think the BBC launched it about a, a year or two after, they, after the BBC was created, as a way to tell, to tell the nation what was on the radio, hence the name. And ever since then, you know, we've evolved, and so it then became a magazine all about television as well as radio. And, you know, now it's a magazine that has to be about television in all its forms, as well as radio, as well as podcasts. So, you know, we'll, we'll cover the streamers and we'll cover the, the terrestrial broadcasters and we still cover radio, yet we still cover all of the podcasts that we can get our teeth into too. So, you know, that canvas that the magazine covers is growing all the time. And it remains quite influential. I mean the numbers, the circulation numbers are still very high, right, Tom? Yeah, you know, for a print magazine, this is a beast. You know, we're, we're selling nearly half a million copies every week. We have the majority, uh, well, more than half uh, these days are sold on subscription. The last kind of, you know, 18 months uh, have been tough for everyone. But one thing that, um, that we noticed is that our readers needed the magazine more than ever, actually. Um, you know, when you lock people up at home and tell them they can't go out, then what do they do? You know, they have to obviously entertain themselves at home. And we were able to provide them with all of the best information about everything that the broadcasters did to try and keep people going during the pandemic. So, you know, we've been, uh, we, we've actually grown in the last 12 months, uh, which is uh, it's not the case with with most print publications, which are obviously all have experienced quite a tough time in the last decade or so. But, um, but Radio Times keeps powering on. And Tom, I have to say, um, of course, I'm a reader of Radio Times, but there is always a time when there's a big event, such 
There's the World Cup, the Olympics, Wimbledon. I mean, of course, I always need to buy the bumper issues. I have with me the Tokyo edition of the Olympics, and I find it fascinating. I mean, the amount of content in there is just incredible because it can be a little, a little bit daunting uh, seeing the schedule for the Olympics on TV because there's so many sports. It's hard, actually, to follow, but I think this is quite essential, I mean, if you want to follow a good Olympics in a way. We've got... Historically, as I said earlier, we, we were owned by the BBC. The magazine isn't anymore. Uh, it's uh, published by Immediate Media. But, but because of our relationship over the years with the BBC, we built up a tradition of working very closely with them over things like this. And the BBC obviously have broadcast the Olympics for decades. And uh, this time around, we got together with them to say, look, we want to tell people about every every moment in your 350 hours of coverage and tell people how they can watch the games and what you're going to be covering in all the detail we can give them. So with the BBC committing 350 hours to, to covering the, the Tokyo games, that gave, us our, um, that gave us our task to actually tell our readers exactly what they were going to find on the BBC in that time. And I think it's... Uh, We've cut it every which way. So if you get the magazine, you'll be able to see that you can do it by by broadcaster or you can do it by sport. So I don't know, you would go to BBC One to watch the men's 100 metres final probably. But if you really wanted to watch the archery, you'd have to work quite hard to find out where that was. But if you've got the magazine, you'll be able to see who's got the archery, at what time, where you can get it live. And uh, our, our... our aim is to is, is 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 to cover every sport every day and every medal and to let people know how they can watch all of those live on a personal level is there a sport that you're really looking forward to well for me yeah i mean the 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 the, the athletics is obviously where most people's attention goes in the in the games i think the first the first week is going to be it's interesting, isn't it? Because we've just started and these games are like no other in that there's been this build up to them filled with uncertainty. Are they going to happen? Well, they've started now. And the first week I think for home audiences is going to be really interesting because uh, there's a British swimmer called Adam Peaty, who's just one of the best in the world. He's going to dominate what goes on in the pool in that first week. We've also got still got world beating cyclists and team gb's uh, cyclists will be going in those first two weeks along with the rowers traditionally the british have always done really well at sports where you sit down so cycling and rowing work well but when we get to the track i think the event i'm really looking forward to well there are two actually it's the women's 100 meters and the women's 200 meters and there's a a, a, a british athlete competing in that called Dina Asher-Smith, who's a star in the making. And that's where most eyes will be, I think, come, come the opening of the, of, the, um, of the athletics in the second week. And so, of course, I need to mention another thing I really like about Radio Times. And, you know, perhaps, I, I, I don't know if many people would associate, but your film coverage is excellent as well. I mean, the amount of reviews for every single edition, that's, that, that's impressive, actually. So 
I think even if you're, you know, a casual film fan, I mean, it's an, it's another essential reading, and it must be a lot of work because there's like reviews for so many films in every single edition. You've got a massive database actually, because Radio Times have been committed to film for decades, and there is a there, there is a massive database that allows us to actually find reviews for most films that have, that have ever been broadcast. But also, you know, the current films and the films that that we've enjoyed in the last 18 months, you know, so much of it has been seen on and has premiered on a on a streaming service because, well, we haven't been able to go to the cinema. So the, the films that uh, you can find on television have actually been <laughs> the only films that are out there in recent memory. And it's our job to cover them all. So we cover, we cover not just new releases, but we cover the stuff that's being broadcast uh, on television anyway. And then we've got, as I say, this fantastic archive, which readers can mine too. And Tom, finally, uh, do you expect the type of coverage at Radio Times to change a lot in the coming years? Of course, I mean, you mentioned streaming, but it seems to me that every week there's a new streaming or, or do, you see, do you still think the terrestrial television still have power think, in a way? You know, Radio Times has traditionally been known as a listings magazine, but listings are can't be all that, all that we do because there's so much more now than just telling people when something's on. Because in the age of streaming, obviously you can choose to watch uh, what you want, when you want. So really at the heart of what we do now and the reason we have streaming sections and the reason we have podcast guidance uh, in among the, the, the coverage of the terrestrial broadcasters and radio stations is because we need to give people a taste of the, uh, uh, of, of the very best stuff out there and somehow help them find it. It's so confusing. There's so much stuff. How do you know where to start? Well, we've kind of done the hard work for you in that sense. We've filtered out the rubbish and we've found the stuff that's really going to, uh, to hopefully work for you. Thanks, Tom. And their bumper Olympics issue is out now. A new issue is out every Tuesday in the UK. Finally in the show, of course, I had to talk to Monaco's Fiona Wilson, our Tokyo Bureau Chief, on how the Japanese media is covering the event. Some very interesting facts, such as that the Japanese papers also sponsored the Olympics. And I know Fiona is also looking forward to watch a little bit of surfing too. Let's hear more from her. There are definitely still worries. And I think one thing that's really changed is the arrival of the international media. I think the onslaught of international media has just changed really changed the kind of narrative because I think, you know, Japanese journalists have been doing, a, you know, their own job, but suddenly you've got all these outside voices and they're interested in different things. They're very, they're looking very closely at scandals. They're much more critical, I would say, probably. They're asking more pertinent questions. And I think that's been a bit of a shock for some of the organisers. I wouldn't say the mood has really lifted, but, you know, who knows? The sport has started, just started so maybe that will turn things around. People are very supportive of the athletes here. So maybe that will be a more positive thing to look at. Well, how is the, the coverage uh, of, of the Olympics in, in Japanese media? For example, is the NHK doing kind of a big thing, kind of plenty of hours on television with all the mm -hmm. sports? What's the vibe when it comes to the Japanese media? Yeah, I think there are two different things. There's actually the coverage of the Olympics itself. And absolutely, I mean, 
Never mind NHK, just the private TV channels are going to be doing 450 hours of coverage. NHK itself will have live coverage on six channels. So it's going to be absolutely epic. They also have their satellite channels. They do 4K and for the first time they're doing 8K. So you're going to have this hyper high definition TV, not always very flattering. But they're going to have that for the um, opening, closing ceremonies and for seven different events. I think swimming, athletics, judo. This is this is ultra high definition. So that's when you want your massive television, which apparently people have been buying in droves now that it's a spectator free event. So there's that side of things. But then there's also the coverage of the things beyond sport. And that story has been going on for, you know, years, basically. But particularly in the last year, this thing of, you know, the delays various scandals you know we've had sexism we we just lost the uh the man who composed the music for the opening ceremony he had to resign for another scandal so there's been a lot of that and and i think one thing that's very unusual about the japanese media is that big newspapers like the yomiuri shimbun and the asahi shimbun the two biggest newspapers in the world they're both sponsors of the olympics so that does put them in a slightly uh extraordinary position and, and it's interesting to see how that's played out yomiuri is, is a conservative paper tends to be more supportive of the establishment of the government it's been fairly muted in its criticism i think the asahi shimbun is now the gloves are off it's been relentlessly critical recently very strong editorials against um prime minister suga and his indecision about you know when is it going to happen are we going to have spectators these huge decisions that were left until the last minute so you've got this separate picture of how are the newspapers covering those difficulties. And that's been really interesting. But it's so interesting that those media publications, they're sponsoring the event. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I don't remember this in the previous Olympics, but that's, that's quite an interesting uh, particularity of these Olympics. Yeah, I think also, you know, it's a sort of particularity of the of the media setup here. I mean, you will find that the Yomiuri Shimbun and the Asahi Shimbun, they sponsor arts events they sponsor huge exhibitions their remit is much broader i would say uh, it has a much broader cultural remit than a than a paper would have say in the uk but yeah i think you definitely have to say you know how does this affect their editorial and i would say the asahi which is a left-leaning paper it hasn't stopped the the criticism i think early on i felt sometimes there were things that could have been said that weren't being said but now it's absolutely uh, very very critical critical of the you know the committee of the olympic minister of the prime minister you also have the big tokyo shimbun the big tokyo newspaper that's also become i would say increasingly critical you know and questioning the indecision that's really surrounded this event so what you want is a critical media i think that's what you need particularly given what's happened and the injection of the international media you know you get a load of reporters from other places they bring their own interests and the sort of things they value their own news values and i think that's that's been quite a good it's injected some energy it doesn't have to be relentlessly negative people are incredibly focused on the sport as well so i think that will bring a whole load of different coverage but there will be no shortage of it. We will basically be glued from our TVs from first thing in the morning to last thing at night. And I must add here to our listeners, you you just picked up your accreditation as well, right? I did, yes. I I finally picked up my accreditation. I've been meaning to do it and I I went along to get it. Yeah, it it was quite a serious process. In fact, my first photograph was rejected because I was smiling, which (laughs) is apparently unacceptable for accreditation. So I now have a, a pass and I'm, you know, I'm really looking forward to seeing some of the sport life. I'm also looking forward to seeing some of the venues, which I haven't seen inside. So 
the amazing gymnastics venue in Ariake, which really looks beautiful. Can't wait to get inside that. The rowing venue looks really interesting. And seeing some of the classic venues from the 60s, 1964 Olympics that are being reused be great to get inside there and see them you know living as Olympic venues again and finally Fiona is there a sport that you like to follow closely or you just like kind of the big event itself I think it's the big event isn't it I'm really interested to see some of the events that are you know I feel Japan will do well in you know of course this is this is home turf be great to see you know these incredible judo karate stars you know Japan has got you know obviously its tradition in martial arts but also some of the new sports look great you know the climbing I'm looking forward to seeing the surfing you know that Me looks too. really interesting <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that's a first. So that will be, it's lovely to see those fresh sports coming in and that, and that will be exciting, I think. Thanks, Fiona. That's it for this week's show. My thanks to our editor, Nora Hall. And if you have any comments or queries, feel free to write to me, Fernando, at fpandmonaco.com. And remember, we're back next Saturday at the same time. Of course, you can always listen again at monaco.com or subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And before we go, a little song for you. It's French 79 with Olympic. You've been listening to The Stack. I'm Fernando Augusto Pacheco. Until next time, it's goodbye from me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.